Welcome to the first episode of the One in Four podcast, a podcast that seeks to humanize, educate, and elevate conversations around the re-entry process of the formerly incarcerated. My name is Bea Spadaccini, and I'm one of your co-hosts for this podcast. To put re-entry into a broader perspective, please note that each year over 600,000 people make the difficult transition from prisons back to their communities. Many more people go in and out of jail and face some of the same barriers. In our first 10 episodes, we are going to focus our reporting on the re-entry process in the Washington, D.C. greater metro area, which includes Maryland and Virginia. One of the greatest barriers that formerly incarcerated people face when they come out of prison is finding a job, primarily because they have a criminal record. Yes, employment helps formerly incarcerated people gain economic stability after release and reduces the likelihood that they return to prison, which really promotes a greater public safety to everyone's benefit. But despite the overwhelming benefits of employment, people who have been to prison are largely shut out of the labor market. According to a July 2018 report by the Prison Policy Initiative, which is entitled Out of Prison, Out of Work, formerly incarcerated people are unemployed at a rate of over 27%, which is approximately five times higher than the national average. Those who manage to get employed are often relegated to the most insecure and lowest paying positions. Today, we're speaking with Doña Rojas, who is a program specialist at the Montgomery County Correctional Facility in Maryland, a jail that can house up to 1,200 inmates. I asked Doña Rojas to explain to us the difference between a prison and a jail, because not every listener may know that difference. The length of stay at the facility is anywhere from 45 to 60 days, and there is a difference. This is actually a jail. And the difference between a jail and a prison is, in a jail, when you are sentenced, you can serve anywhere from 18 months or less. When you are sentenced to prison, it's anywhere from 18 months to life. In her role, Doña Rojas, or Coach Rojas, as she's often referred to by her students, assists incarcerated individuals to become job-ready and life-ready. Her services are provided through the American Job Center, a network of centers supported by the U.S. Department of Labor. This is one of the few American job centers that is embedded inside a jail. Her services are available to the sentence population, not to individuals who are awaiting trial. Coach Rojas works primarily with the female population at the Montgomery County Correctional Facility. A colleague of hers works with the men who show interest in going through the program. Can you tell us about the kind of coaching that you give? You you said it's work and life. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners the difference between those two? We help them to get job ready and life ready. And in that, we provide them with interviewing skills. We actually use a local nonprofit organization who provides volunteers to help us with mock interviews. We also ensure that individuals know and understand how to explain their charges because that's important. From the job ready, this is all from the job readiness side. We deal with writing resumes, job search strategies, but we also help them with personal development. It's one thing to obtain employment, but it's another thing to actually understand and know what to do when you get that first paycheck. So what does the training consist of in terms of, for example, 
the life skills, but also with, is there practical training in terms of job skills or is it mainly from books? What kind of skills do they learn? For what jobs do you prepare them? We work with them first and foremost on assessing what their skills are. There are a number of assessments, and we actually use one, which is the Holland Inventory, which was developed by the psychologist John Holland. And we use his inventory assessment tool in order to assess where they are, to see what things they're actually interested in. So after the assessment, we then work with them on writing their resume based on what transferable skills they have from previous jobs. We work closely with them if they don't have skills. We work with them with other, like the Montgomery College um, MLC program. We work with them to obtain their GED if they don't have their GED. Montgomery College also offers non-credit courses on how to develop a small business. We connect them with different um, organizations within the jail to prepare them. We hammer them on the skills that they need in order to get that. We also go by this theory, ABC. You get a job, then you get a better job, and then you look at getting a career. So we're working with them to get that A job and that better job, and eventually looking at what you can do to get a career. So it's mainly honing in on those job readiness skills. And then after they work on those job readiness skills, we work on how to conduct the job search which is a job search skill. Then we work on them with their personal development. How do you present yourself back into your community? How do you reunify with your family? This, it's a holistic approach. So they actually get three certificates from us. They get a job readiness certificate, they get a job search certificate, and they get a personal development certificate. Do you have data on how many of them actually do get jobs? We don't have concrete data per se, because this is a very transient population, especially being in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Studies show, though, that less than half of individuals who are released are able to find employment. However, what I will say is that if an individual stays engaged in the American Job Center concept, they're able to find employment greater than those who do not follow up. So what I'm saying is within the American Job Center, within the facility, if they connect with our American Job Center outside of the facility and they continue to work the program, they're more likely to find employment than those that leave, never touch base, never go to an American Job Center, and never stay engaged. A number of the inmates that are located in our facility come from D.C., they come from Virginia. For those that stay in Montgomery County, what we're doing is we have a welcome home segment. And we, in, during the welcome home segment, they're able to meet the American Job Center employee that, will, that they can work with on the outside. So they're able to connect with them prior to leaving. And it's up to the American Job Center on the outside to make that connection and to continue to follow up with them. So we're not sure exactly how many do because we're so focused on those that are inside the facility. So how do the inmates respond to these services that you provide them? Do you feel like, do you have to do some convincing to get them to take take up these services or do you feel like they are fairly eager to learn and get their life back on track when they get out? It depends. We conduct bi-monthly recruitments now and they're able to be in our program for approximately six to ten weeks. 
When we go out, we actually go to the pods. We go to where they're housed and actually tell them about our program. At first, some are not interested. They're like, I don't need that. I have a job already. But once they hear and see what their peers are doing in our program, then we'll receive a blue slip saying that they're interested. When they come to the center, it's a center where we're providing them with a service, but they know we care. They know that we want to see them succeed. They may not have had that prior to being arrested. They may not have had somebody to encourage them to do something great and grand. That's what we do in our center. Before, in the course of this interview, you said something about the need for your clients to explain the charges. Is this a question that comes up a lot when formerly incarcerated people seek employment? In Montgomery County, Maryland, we have where there is ban the box. And what that means is on an actual physical application, the question regarding if you've ever been convicted of a crime cannot be on the actual application. The reason why Montgomery County and other states have decided to do this is because you want to give the individual an opportunity to get in the door. Prior to that, of course, no employer will say why they didn't pick that individual. But we know if you see their, see on their application that they've been convicted of a crime, you can easily not use or pick that application. With Ban the Box, it gives individuals the opportunity to actually meet with a human resources specialist in order to discuss who they are, what their skills are. But what we encourage them to do is on the back end, when it's time to close the interview and you talk about what questions you may have and the interviewer may ask, what else do you have to add? You want to add that when they go to look at your criminal record or when they go to run a background, they will see that I've committed a crime. I've been incarcerated before. That's your opportunity at the interview to actually speak up and say what happened, what occurred. You don't stay on the charge, but you tell them that this did happen because they're going to research it and see it anyway. Nationwide, as of September 2018, 33 states one territory, and over 150 cities and counties had adopted what is widely known as ban the box, so that employers consider a job candidate's qualifications first, without the stigma of a conviction or arrest record. This initiative, along with others, provide applicants a fair chance at employment by removing the conviction history question from job applications and delaying background checks until later in the hiring process. Most of the fair chance laws apply only to public sector jobs and government contractors, though there are now 11 states that have also mandated the removal of conviction history questions from job applications for private employers. In Maryland, the fair chance law, which includes ban the box, was signed in May 2013 by then Democratic Governor Martin O'Malley. In the District of Columbia, the Ban the Box laws went into effect in December 2014. While in Virginia, the law was adopted in January 2018 and only applies to state employment applications. I asked Coach Rojas whether the American Job Center at the Montgomery County Correctional Facility does any type of outreach to potential employers in the area and sensitizes them on what the formerly incarcerated might have to offer as employees. 
We have a number of employers that we currently work with. It's important to educate employers as well as future employers on seeing the benefits of hiring from this population. We are able to engage employers through different forums. We have a few forums a couple times a year where we work with local chambers of commerce to find employers that may be that may be interested in hiring this population. So what we do is we actually educate the employers on what they're getting as an employee, but also we have them tell us, what do you need? What are your needs? What are your expectations? What are your criteria? What charges will you take? What charges will you not take? It's important for us to know so that we can match or even refer our current customers to various employers in the community. The employers are reluctant to maybe say their names. I'm, I'm aware of some companies that do hire returning citizens, formerly incarcerated people. But I would think that citizens in the community as well, certainly some, would patronize businesses that do give jobs to formerly incarcerated people and give them a second chance. Is there any type of education work with the community as well? If you just think about it as a consumer, Some of us, like myself, you, those of us that care about individuals that are returning back to the community, we would be more than willing to patronize a, an organization or a company for giving individuals that have been previously incarcerated a second chance. However, there are some that are not aware. There are community There are people within our communities that are afraid because they don't know. So if I understand that ABC Enterprises may be hiring ex-offenders, I'm nervous about going into that store because I don't know who this individual is, what they bring to the table. It's important as a community that we learn to take away these biases because it's almost where we become afraid of yet another population that we don't understand and that we do not know. A lot of these individuals are looking for a chance. Every last one of us is one DUI away from being locked up. But think about it. If you had a neighbor, friend, sister, brother, mother, or father that ended up being in the system, would you not want them to get a second chance when they came out? Or would you want them to feel the scrutiny of the community, which may give them a mindset of, why am I trying to work hard to be a better person? I'm not accepted by my community. I might as well go back to what I used to do. It's all about how do we want them to come back? Do we want them to come back with a frame of mind of, my community doesn't care, so why even work hard? Or do you want them to come back with a frame of mind that people are looking at us differently? They're looking at us where we made a mistake, and now we're coming back and trying to do the best we can as taxpaying citizens. What got you into this type of job? I want to know what was your own trajectory getting here And what did you study for other people to also understand possibilities of work and working with this population? I come from a human services background. And how I got here is a blessing. I myself was a victim of a crime. When I was a teenager, um, two armed robbers came. 
to my home and actually shot and killed my grandfather. I was raised in the Virgin Islands. And to be honest, being a part of the system from that perspective was different because I was a victim. I didn't commit a crime, but I saw what it did to our family. And being the victim of a crime, I am now able to get individuals to understand that behind every crime that you commit, there's a victim. And that victim might look like me. It might look like my grandmother. It might look like my cousins. It may look like my entire family that had to endure the pain. But what I started to say is once I got into this position through um, a referral, I was referred to this position. And at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But then when I thought about it, I'm a giver. I'm a server. And if I can give back to an individual so that they don't have to spend the amount of time that those two armed robbers spent because of the crime they committed against my family, then I was doing what I was placed here to do. Can you give me some examples of people that you have known throughout the years through your job that have successfully integrated into the community and have contributed to the community through their job and maybe also Talk to us a little bit about the importance of having a job when it comes to reintegration to the community. It's important to have employment. It's important to have housing. It's important for a returning citizen to have those basic needs that we all need and must have in order to survive. I've had a number of individuals, and I can speak to, a, to two. I've had a young man that was constantly going in and out, in and out, in and out for drug charges. And at one point he came through our center and he received a marketable resume and he saw himself different on paper. Once he saw himself different on paper, he went out, he contacted me, he received a job with a company where within a year and a half he was promoted to a sales position where he was making over and above what he ever thought he could make. Once he was able to get over his probation and parole and saw that there was a bigger world. He was able to go out there and traveled. He sent me pictures of himself from Jamaica with his family, happy, saying, coach, we couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done this without you. I'm so glad that I took the time to come to the American Job Center so that I could see myself differently. He's been out of jail for, I think, about five years now and will periodically send me updates. He's bought his own, his first home. He's bought his first car. He's living the dream. He's living his best life. So him and um, I've had individual females that have left and they are no longer in the system. They're no longer on paper and they're living their best life. I've had one that where somebody told her, oh, you know, you might not be able to do a certified nursing assistance program. She went through the American Job Center on the outside and is now a registered CNA. Before I began at the facility, there was another individual that was there, Coach Smedley. And when she began, she started working with solely the male population. And we wanted to take away that stigma of male and female. Everybody's had a coach at some point, and we always ask, what do coaches do? Coaches motivate, coaches inspire, 
Coaches encourage. Coaches yell on Thursdays. We do everything that we need to do to push you forward to be in the best you because when, when the team wins, the coach wins. You're sort of like a cheerleader. Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. And some days we have to push and push and push just to get them to feel like, you know, they're in the system. Not every day is a good day. But when they come to our center, we want them to feel like we're going to inspire you to get past whatever it is you had going on in the pod. We're going to inspire you to see past the jail, to see past the walls, to see yourself outside being the best you that you can be. One of the women who was pushed and encouraged to see her better self by Coach Rojas is Linda Dyson, who went through the Americans Job Center program as part of her reentry training at the Montgomery County Correctional Facility. Linda went in and out of jail several times throughout her life, primarily because of her previous addiction to drugs. She has been clean for almost 10 years now and is very proud of what she's been able to achieve since. This includes getting a Certified Nursing Assistant Certificate, or a CNA, through Montgomery College. It was thanks to Coach Rojas that Linda started to envision what her life could look like if she really committed to it. One exercise in particular that she did was a vision board. And, um, and I thought that was real interesting to put on a board that you can look at every day of what you want to do, your goals in life. I use pictures, words that I wrote. And um, mine was nursing, helping with nursing and hair, natural hair. <laughs> and also, Miss um, Rojas had a natural hair class that I attended and completed and got a certificate for. I loved it, you know, and she gives, the, especially the women, she, she works with the men too, but of course I'm not with her when she's working with the men, but I know with the women she gives us so much encouragement, you know, that we can do things, you know, and don't let our past define who we are today. I would like to one day open up a natural hair shop. I don't know if I'm that good that I could do hair, <laughs> but I do know a lot of people who does hair and like to do natural hair. So that's one of my goals is to open a shop, a hair shop for natural hair. And then um, another one of my goals is to like get into the, um, back into the nursing field. I would like to open a center for border babies. That's babies born addictive to drugs, you know, and um, to help them out, to show them all the love and care, you know, that somebody cares, you know, um, because there's a lot of babies being born addicted to drugs and their parents don't want them, you know, or can't afford them, you know, or too sick to take care of them. So I want to be able to show them that there's somebody out here that cares for them. What was the hardest thing for you when you got out of prison in terms of looking for employment? What are some of the experiences that you had? Well, Not just this time, but because I've been in and out for a while, you know, um, and it's always my record, you know, me having a background, and that hinders me from doing a lot of things that I want to do, you know, because a lot of people get scared, you know, because you're an ex-offender, but, you know, I just hang in there and 
because if I'm determined to do something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to let my past hold me hostage. I'm going to make my life better. You know, I have six children, grown children, and nine grandchildren. So, you know, I want to show them what not to do, not to follow what I did, you know, but be better. There's a lot of things out here that you can do. You know, you can do anything you want to do if you set your mind to it. So with the, for example, the issue of the record, it's like, how, did the training program with Donna Rojas inside uh, Montgomery County Correctional Facility, did they help you think of like, how to answer that question? How to, how to explain that to a potential employer that you shouldn't be defined by your past, even right. though, yes, you've made mistakes, but tell me what you think. So along with um, making that resume, she showed us how to write a letter of explanation, you know, and that tells them a little bit about you and that whatever your record is, it's not who you are today, you know, that um, you want something better and you can do better, you know, all you need is a chance. So, um, and then your cover letter, you describe yourself and your experiences and what you can do. But the letter of explanation is really, I found that to be really, really good because when I apply for, um, to go to Montgomery College, you know, they do a background check, too, and I had to um, present that letter of explanation, and I was accepted. Well, in my letter, I explained that I had a little bumps, you know, in my past, but today I'm not that person. I'm in recovery. I have nine years clean, and I'm making better choices today. At the county correctional facility, Linda got a job in the kitchen. She was paid dollar two per day for a total of $1.62 a month, which does not cover much considering the cost of phone calls in jail and prison and basic supplies at the commissary. Since she's been out, Linda's worked as a private duty nurse and is now a driver at a drug and alcohol rehab center. She drives clients to appointments. She's also applied to work during the winter months at a shelter for homeless people. I asked Linda... What compels her to give back to the community now that she's out of jail? Definitely because I've been there before. You know, I've been homeless. You know, I've been addicted to drugs. So that's my thing. My goal is to help people. So what's your message to someone that might be in a position like you were 10 years ago or even 15, 20 years ago? What's your message to them? that you can do anything to turn your life around. All you have to do is just want it. I asked Linda how important was it for her to have a support system when she got out of jail in order to do the things she wanted to do and not keep cycling in and out of jail. Yeah, my sponsor has, and my children are wonderful. Even after all the stuff I've taken them through, they love me unconditionally and they support me very, very much. Um, when I celebrate um, my lens of sobriety, they're there, they bring me flowers, balloons, and, you know, and they tell me they love me all the time and they're pr how proud they are of me. Coach Rojas, who has been in this position for six years, believes that her work with inmates like Linda Dyson and many others is her life's purpose, 
When I asked her what is the best part of her job as a coach in the jail, she answered without hesitation. Pushing those that don't want to be pushed, engaging those that don't want to be engaged, making, helping those, to, those individuals to see that this does work. They, come with, they may come feeling sullen. They may come feeling like, I can't do this. And then once they see themselves in a different light, through different um, practices, through different um, interactive exercises, they start to see things differently. They're able to engage with other services in the correctional facility, like our reentry services. Then you start to see the light bulb go on. When you hear that they've obtained employment and that they're doing well, that's what makes this job the, the most rewarding I, I think it can be. So if we want to leave our listeners with a call to action, the citizens of the state of Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia, because we hope our listeners would be at least from these two states and the district, what should we tell ordinary people about this population and the importance of having jobs and what jobs can do in this critical phase of adjustment? I want citizens to look at how their faith and community-based programs can help provide resources such as housing, clothing for interviewing, And it's important for you to educate yourself on the formerly incarcerated and individuals who are struggling to fit in to a community that they may have did something to harm them. It's important to understand that we all make mistakes. We shouldn't pass judgment because this individual made an error in their judgment. They want to come home. They deserve to come home. And they deserve to come home to a community that is welcoming, that is engaging, that understands that they made an error, a poor judgment call. And we just need to even go a step further to make sure that our politicians are looking for funding that will provide them with the resources and the things that they need. I'm very grateful to the Montgomery County County Council because they are on top of things. They are aware. They know. They provide funding to keep our center going. So that's what we need to see throughout the state is that we are providing the resources and getting the funding that's needed to help these individuals to stay out and to be contributing citizens in their community. So the citizens of Montgomery County should be proud of this. Yes, most definitely. Our county council is active on every level, but I'm happy to say that they've made it possible for us to provide the services to engage and bring individuals who, are, who were incarcerated back home better than they were when they left. Remember to follow us on Twitter at One in Four Podcast, all letters, no numbers, and follow us on Facebook. You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.